When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, the story of the most famous tourist slogan in history, I love New York. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And we are looking at one of the most famous logos of all time and one of the most famous campaigns, tourism or otherwise, and that is the I Heart or I Love New York campaign, which was a big part of the 80s and a time that was spent trying to get the city back on track. And it seems amazing to think there was a time where New York City almost completely faltered. The city was in financial ruin. It was completely bankrupt and it took this advertising campaign to restore it back to life. And this is a sort of follow-up companion piece to the last episode I released, which was all about New York City in the 1980s with my special guest, Greg Young, who is one of the co-hosts of the Bowery Boys podcast, which is a New York City history podcast. And in that, we are looking at everything to do with New York, especially coming out of the 70s when it was this terrible, crime-ridden, filthy place. And again, into the 80s and the slow recovery that was necessary to, again, bring it back to life. So I'd recommend going to listen to that episode first to really set the stage for this uh, whole episode on the rebirth of New York City. Okay, here we go. So New York City has obviously gone through a lot of turmoil over the decades. And going into the 80s, things were pretty bad too. And the 70s, we'll cover this more in a bit, but the city was almost completely bankrupt. And uh, it didn't look like there was any form of recovery happening. But, you know, even right now, New York is facing a lot of scrutiny and concerns that it, you know, might not be able to recover again from all the backlash it's been facing. But, you know, the city is extremely resilient and it proved that in the 80s and it'll continue to prove it. I don't know if you've been to New York before or if you have been and it's probably recently. uh, New York was not a tourist destination for the longest time and now you can't think of a lot of better cities in the world. It's a place that has so much it's great every time of year. All the different seasons are unique and the city's always got a sort of different dynamic and different vibe to it. But people were staying away from it and it would, it was senseless to consider going to New York in the 70s and going into the early 80s. But it took this advertising campaign to lure people back to the city after most of the nation had largely dismissed it. 
if you look at what had happened, I live not far from Detroit, Michigan. Detroit has gone through its own setbacks and again a city facing bankruptcy and was on the verge and a lot had to do with the automotive industry but it's like thinking you know Detroit wouldn't necessarily be a tourist destination it might not be high on your list that's what New York City was like in the 70s so the I love New York campaign wasn't done by the city it was done by an advertising agency they had to start looking at New York in a different light and they needed it to be treated like a commercial and This thing is, again, probably the most successful tourist campaign in history. And like with anything successful, many people have chimed in and said they were the ones responsible for its creation. And, you know, this, the the Isle of New York one is no different from all those. And tons of people tried to get on board to say they were involved with it to kind of leverage themselves into other jobs and into other work. But despite the dozens of men who claim its creation, the marketing campaign came down to two women. The first is the godmother of advertising, a lady named Mary Wells Lawrence. But the one who really nurtured and grew the campaign is Jane Moss. She is the real-life inspiration for Peggy Olson from Mad Men. And this is going to be a side Mad Men rant if you want to fast-forward by. But if you have not watched this show... I, in my opinion, it is the greatest TV drama ever made. And I think a lot of people would back that up too. If you have seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've probably watched this entire series four to five times. That's how deep and compelling it is. And every time you watch it, you get something new out of it. And every time you rewatch it, you come at it with new perspectives and new experiences. And I, I love advertising and, you know, the idea of the Madison Avenue Mad, Mad Men from the 1960s. And if you even remotely are interested in advertising and how emotions are used to sell products and the psychology that goes behind that, you'll want to watch this show. If you love looking back again at the history and sort of the evolution of what was going on in the States through the civil rights movement and, and, and women's liberation and going from the 60s and then into the Vietnam War in the 70s, you'll want to watch it. If you love deep character study where you're just peeling back the layers and you're so sort of um, attached and engrossed in these characters, you'll want to watch it. If you love amazing cinematography, you'll want to watch it. It's one of the only shows that's ever been shot on 35 millimeter film. So it's got this sort of deep rich look to it where you you feel more involved into the scenes and if you like the old throwback music and like exquisite writing like I, I should probably start a Mad Men podcast that's how good it is but one of the cores of the show it's first based around Don Draper and he's the head of the advertising agency Sterling Cooper and and all we, we see his journey of being a genius in advertising but the show is as much about Peggy Olson and, and it's amazing look at how tough it was for women in the workforce, especially in advertising, because it's a male-dominated industry. It probably still is. So Peggy comes in, as, starts out just as a secretary, and then moves herself up into a copywriter, and then gets more responsibility. Eventually, she's like head of the entire department, and then she's being recruited by all these other agencies. And it's just to see the amazing... Um, journey that she goes through and this was a real life person this Jane Moss who they based it on not not 100% but pretty close that she was the inspiration and this Jane went through all the same things and all 
the obstacles she had to overcome and being held back and say, because you're a woman not taken seriously when she's like the most talented one in the entire agency. So Jane has written a few books, which I've read, which give a really good insight into the world of advertising in the sixties. One's called mad women, which is uh, where some of the information from this episode comes from. It's called mad women, the other side of life on Madison Avenue in the 60s and beyond. And again, amazing look. Even if you've never seen Mad Men, this is worth reading just to look at this whole advertising Mad Men culture and then more of the story of this world-famous campaign. So again, we're looking at around you know, the mid-70s. And you know, New York, as I've mentioned, is not this shining beacon of light emerging from the East Coast. And around 1975 is when the state and the city, like this was happening all throughout New York State, but specifically in the city, like I said, were nearly bankrupt. And, you know, if you look back on any footage of the late 70s, early 80s, the city is dirty. Um, It's still expensive, though, but it's crime-filled and it's a dangerous place to visit. And this is all covered in the episode I did with Greg about how there's certain neighborhoods you just would not go into. Whereas today, this is every corner of the city is the most expensive real estate on earth. And, you know, you maybe back then wouldn't have gone into Hell's Kitchen or you wouldn't have gone into the East Village. And now they're just, you can, you couldn't afford to live there. That's how expensive they are. I have a bunch of friends that live in New York. I've been there many, many times. I spent the summer since 2005 working in uh, at a sports camp in Connecticut so it's just not far from the city so I've spent days off there weekends there weeks every summer I've been there all different seasons um, I, I've spent so much time that I I've, New York feels like a second home to me and you don't worry about walking around the city I feel safer in New York than I do in my own hometown here in Canada um, and you know with I have friends that live in you know the Upper East Side and the East Village and the Lower East Side and saying East Village the rent for a bachelor apartment that is like 400 square feet is thousands and thousands a month. In my city here, you couldn't even find a condo that you could spend 2000 on. Like nothing is even that expensive. And that would be like a three bedroom condo. And, and the city has just changed so much over the years. You don't even have to have ever been to New York, but you knew in the seventies and eighties, you wouldn't go into central park. Um, and you probably wouldn't go to Times Square late at night. If you go to Times Square today, it's like Disneyland. It, I mean, it's, it's it's so geared towards families, and there's the M&M store and all this sort of stuff, but in the 70s and 80s, this was not a good place to be. And I cover this in the episode with Greg, too. A lot of this is reflected in the movies that are set in New York at the time, especially, again, the late 70s, early 80s, and we're talking about movies like you know Saturday Night Fever or Taxi Driver. Or in, in movies like Wall Street, uh, and and you see this, the grittiness of the city is reflected in the movies, and and New York City is like a character in these movies, and today it's just this like, it's like the Emerald City. It, it's there's there's so much wealth and extravagance, and the developments that have um, sprung up around New York, and I talk about you know Billionaires Row near Central Park, and. If you were to be able to time travel from the 70s into now and see the city, you you wouldn't recognize it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So the city is in this just absolute turmoil and this financial turmoil And they had to turn to President Gerald Ford for a bailout. They needed help. And Ford famously told New York to drop dead. The city and the state panicked and scrambled to improve their image and their reputation. In order for New York to survive, they needed to increase tourism. The Department of Commerce decided they needed an advertising agency to sell the state and the city of New York to a nationwide audience. Many agencies actually turned down the opportunity for this product be, project because they thought it was a hopeless endeavor. There is no way you're going to get people to New York City. No one wants to go there. You're going to get at best mugged um, and then you won't be able to afford to get home anyway. They ended up turning to an agency called Wells Rich and Green who decided to take a chance on it. This was really important because they had to think of New York City as a product and not a city. And this was in, well, inadvertently ingenious idea by the Department of Commerce to go this direction, whether they intended to or not, because this was the only way to kind of turn this city around. In her book, Jane Moss says how they started to think, or they had to think of New York like a bar of soap, that they were trying to sell this and sort of the attributes that went along with it. The client knew They had a dirty and difficult to use product, but they had to sell people on the virtues of the state and the city. The agency decided that they couldn't start with advertising, but rather market research instead. Again, going back to Mad Men, uh, you see how important that is going into the 60s and 70s. Like advertising coming out of, you know, the 1940s and the 50s, where it was primarily done on radio and and it slowly switched over to television. There, there was no real um, psychology behind the selling. It was basically, here's the product, that's it, buy it, you know. And then they started doing this market research and finding out what people actually wanted. And, you know, they're discovering that people are buying a feeling, they're buying an emotion, they're buying the idea of the product more than the product them, the, itself. You know, you don't necessarily need a Lexus, but you like the prestige and sort of honor that comes with owning a Lexus. Same thing with like Coca-Cola. It's just this can of fizzy colored sugar water and there's tons of different types but you're buying the brand you're buying the sort of persona behind it and the feeling that it gives you so in Mad Men we see sort of this growth of market research and tapping into those emotions and that's what they're doing with New York City they needed to find out what brought tourists to New York and most importantly what was keeping them away So the research showed that people view the state and the city as two entirely different products, which you probably do too. New York State was more about families, nature, summer vacations, all that stuff. The city was more about culture. You know, despite all the problems it was going through, it still had, you know, a thriving culture scene. Manhattan appealed to older, more educated tourists with money to spend. 
And there was one big thing that attracted tourists to the city and kept them constantly coming back. And it might have been the saving grace of the city. And that was Broadway. So before we move on, how about we take a break here? Okay, I hope you like that great throwback commercial. So now they're putting the campaign together. Wells, Rich, and Green had to put all the information they had got from the market research and now put it into an effective marketing campaign. New York had been horrendous at promoting itself and had the lowest marketing budget per capita of all 50 states, which is bizarre to think about. The Department of Commerce finally allowed a $4.3 million budget for an advertising campaign, but they had to get it out quickly. Like I said, New York City is, it's its amazing to even think this is a possibility, but the city's hanging in the balance. You know, this thing was could have just been dismantled and turned into a ghost town. That's how financially dire this whole thing was. To get the summer vacation crowd, they had to advertise months beforehand, as most people are making their summer plans in the spring. The first campaigns featured TV spots that showed people from other states coming into New York State and enjoying it. The commercial would feature lines like, I'm from Cape Cod, but I love New York, or I'm from New Hampshire, but I love New York. The ultimate tagline for the commercial was, if you love the outdoors, you'll love New York. So here's two critical components of the campaign. The campaign looked good, but a few more things were necessary for its success. The first was creating a jingle for the commercial that you heard earlier on. But instead of going with the initial tagline of that, if you love the outdoors, you'll love New York, the composer of the song, Steve Carmen, simply called it I Love New York. The iconic I Love New York logo would be the last piece of the puzzle. Designer Milton Glasser took his approach from the newly named song and used that for the world-famous logo. It's simple, but extremely effective, and as I mentioned, it's become a pop culture icon and has inspired like imitations and iterations of itself in every part of the world, not even for you know advertising um, you know tourism, just anything, anything you love, you can put this iHeart whatever and create the logo out of it. The Department of Commerce made one specific demand though. They regarding the logo, they wanted the logo to be in the public domain so that any attraction throughout the state could use it without charge. This use of the logo over the years, uh, because of its availability and how accessible it is to anything, is worth untold tens of millions of dollars. But the guy who designed it took a one-time fee of just $1,000. That hurts. Okay, let's look at the success and most notably the rapid success of the I Love New York campaign. So once the commercial started airing, uh, specifically for New York State going into the late 70s, uh, and, you know, people heard the jingle, they saw the logo, it caught on quick. Jane Moss explains in her book how the agency used an advertising technique called road blocking. They made sure it ran, this technique is making sure it runs during the evening news. And since there were only three networks then, Anyone watching would see it. They would put it on at the same time slot. Commercials all, or sorry, TV shows all take the same 
um, commercial breaks at the same time. That's why, you know, if you're switching, looking for something else to watch during the commercials, you won't because they're all sort of locked into this thing. So they made sure over the three main networks that their commercial was showing at the same time. So it didn't matter what station they were watching, people would see the uh, advertising campaign. The campaign worked so well that overnight gas stations were selling out of New York State maps. I Love New York bumper stickers started showing up on cabs all over the city. The research conducted by Rich, or sorry, Wells Rich Green showed that 90% of people in the target markets were aware of the campaign. And in advertising, that is massive. And remember, we're mainly talking about New York State here. Looking at the other half of the campaign, New York City itself, they were also seeing results too. Even, you know, New York State is not as threatening because again, it's like, you know, the vacationing and wide open spaces and you take your family. You probably weren't going to take your family to New York City going into the late 70s or 80s. But that thing I mentioned about Broadway being the catalyst behind its success was the big draw to the city. So they started creating theater packages that included tickets and a hotel room. This package would also include a sightseeing trip, transportation, and even meals. This unique tourism package took away all the concerns for the out-of-town guests and made the purchase of it a simple decision. You wouldn't have to worry about where to stay or how to find the tickets or where to eat. It was all taken care of. So if you had any trepidations but you love Broadway and you love the theater, this made it a no-brainer. And again, it was very affordable. It was hard to pass up. The I Love New York campaign was able to capture the spirit of the city, which was still there, even though it was covered with all this sort of crime and filth and dirt and everything like that. And it was the perfect promotion. The city alone could not have handled this. And it was crucial to involve an advertising agency. And and again, treating the city like a product. The logo, as mentioned, has become one of the most famous in history. And everyone who sees it instantly recognizes it. It doesn't matter where you're from. What, what country, what walk of life, you recognize this logo. The campaign worked so well that New York City didn't even have to advertise anymore. Going into um, the last few years, for example, in 2018, New York welcomed 65.2 million guests. This generated 623 million just in estimated hotel occupancy tax revenue. That, and that that's such a small piece of the tourism puzzle. It's just the tax on the, the room. So not even including the cost of the room and the money spent in the city and meals, $623 million just on that. That's how big the tourism industry has become in New York. So I'll start winding it down here. Um, again, it's if you've never heard of this whole story or if this is new to you, it, it's, it seems bizarre to think about. And no one thought New York was going to recover from the turmoil it faced in the 70s, but it did, and it always will. Again, all the stuff the city's been through, no matter what it is, it'll always be resilient. That's the nature of New York City. That's what it was founded on. Uh, even though the city's down, it is never out. And hopefully you found this an interesting look back at a very important part of the 80s as far as tourism and how advertising all comes together and the promotion of something that became part of pop culture. So thank you for listening. And again, go back and check out the episode with Greg Young uh, where we talked all about New York City in the 80s. It's an amazing episode. Uh, But I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this show. I know there's so many different podcasts out there. So the fact you're listening to this one means a lot. If you haven't subscribed already, make sure you do, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you find your podcasts, I should be there. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.